independent voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is uh, Ed Fallon. I am your host, as always, and we are coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, also known, yes, as the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. If you value what we do, we could sure use your support. Uh, visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, or if you run a small business or nonprofit, you can consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Check out Gateway's catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Now, thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham says that no matter how you plan or renovate your project, please use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so later in the program, we're going to be talking with Andy Douglas about the progressive utilization movement. We'll also discuss uh, Michael Moore's take on the upcoming midterm elections. And for our farm and food segment, Kathy and I will take a look at the lawsuit over Barilla Pasta, which brings into play the question, the critical question, is pasta really Italian? But first, we got to discuss marriage equality. You know, is it really threatened? Some are very, very nervous that it could be threatened, um, given the Supreme Court ruling last summer, this summer, on Roe versus Wade. You know, and, and I want to circle back to that question, but first, uh, a little uh, personal history on the subject. Uh, I, you know, I regard, <laughs> I regard this as my highest accomplishment in politics, and that is um, being included in a deck of cards. All right, so the. Uh, the Marriage for All, a deck of cards, came out uh, back in, what, 97, 98? It was in response to the Defense of Marriage Act, the so-called, quote, Defense of Marriage Act, that was being pushed at the federal level and at some state levels, including Iowa. And I gave a speech on the floor of the House and um, ended up on a playing card, the, the Two of Spades. And, you know, you may think, well, Two of Spades, big deal, Ed. But, you know, in Asian War, as I learned from a friend, friend of my daughter's, in Asian War, the Two of Spades is the best card in the deck. So there. So um, my uh, Two of Spades card says, What are you trying to protect heterosexual marriages from? If Amy and Barbara or Mike and Steve love each other, it doesn't mean that John and Mary can't. That was uh, part of my speech from the floor of the Iowa House in 96 in opposition to the Iowa Defense of Marriage Act. But some of the other cards are great. Here's, um, here's uh, Coretta Scott King. Uh, quote, a constitutional amendment banning same-sex marriages is a form of gay bashing and does nothing to protect traditional marriages. Well, good for her. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor, I love this one. I feel that any home where there is love constitutes a family, and families should have the same legal rights, including the right to marry. Interestingly, this deck of cards, all the spades, diamonds, and hearts are, quote, good people, those of us supporting marriage equality. The clubs are the not-so-good people, and I'll share a couple of those with you. But uh, first, a couple more of my favorites. Here's um, Ian McKellen a.k.a. Gandalf, and I love Gandalf, says, I, I'd like to read it in his stage voice, but I shan't. He says, I can't get back into the closet because it's absolutely jam-packed full of other actors. <laughs> that is a great quote. And um, Liza Minnelli, 
How dare they say you can't have children, you can't put a significant other on your insurance? How dare they? And uh, Jesse Ventura, former independent governor of Minnesota, maybe some folks remember him, he says, love is bigger than government. I don't like it when I see human rights violated. We are not the hetero states of America. Nice. And uh, since we'll return to this guy later in the program, Michael Moore, also on the deck as the Seven of Hearts, Michael Moore says, Mr. Bush, anytime you got the Pope and the Dixie Chicks against you, your time is up. Um, <laughs> how true that was. Uh, the, one of the two jokers in the deck is Jerry Falwell. That's entertaining. And, of course, the clubs are all people who don't get it, including Rush Limbaugh. And as the card points out, Rush and his current wife have six marriages and four divorces between them. How many marriages can one man defend? <laughs> uh, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I, you know, I kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but um, back then he didn't get it. And, and, of course, there are plenty of Democrats who are on the wrong side of this issue as well. Arnold says, I think that gay marriage... I'm, okay, I'm going to go with the accent on this one. I think that gay marriage should be between a man and a woman. <laughs> Yeah, don't think too hard about that one. It's really, really dumb. Anyway, uh, James Dobson, the pastor, says, quote, no, actually, this is, um, he's being challenged by this quote from Deuteronomy, which he is always citing as part of the reason why we should be a biblical society. Uh, quote, a marriage shall be considered valid only if the wife is a virgin. If the wife is not a virgin, she shall be executed. All righty then. Anyway, um, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of great material in that deck of cards, and um, I don't use them too often because they're kind of special. But that came as a result of my speech on the floor of the House, as did uh, some extensive um, quoting of that speech in a book by uh, Evan Wolfson called Why Marriage Matters. And again, this was at a time when we were fighting to secure the right for gays and lesbians to marry. And, um, yeah, I, I went out on a limb when I gave that speech on the floor because the minority leader had chewed me out. He thought I was going to have the audacity to speak in, in, in opposition to the defense of marriage bill, and uh, he was right, and, I, and he, he ordered me not to. I did anyhow, and um, out of that came an invitation by Barney Frank, uh, U.S. Representative Barney Frank, to speak before the uh, U.S. House Judiciary Committee, which also was a very... Um, powerful and moving experience for me. Um, we lost that battle, of course. The Democrats, uh, the Republicans passed the Defense of Marriage Act. Clinton also on the wrong side of that. But, um, you know, and I got some political payback for standing up for equality back then. I, you know, I was, um, I, I had an opponent. Um, Democrats who didn't like me doing that found a Democratic pastor to run against me in the primary. I won. Uh, there are those who have come out in support of equality who didn't win. There were, um, of course, you know, I, I think about all the risks that gay and lesbian men and women uh, took in standing up for equality years ago. Uh, I mean, two, two men in my experience have come to mind in, here in Des Moines. Uh, Jonathan Wilson, he was a member of the Iowa School Board for 12 years. I mean, he got elected over and over again. Until one day he was, quote, outed, and uh, there was a extensive campaign of hate against him on WHO radio, uh, led largely by uh, Jan Michelson. And again, if anybody's not familiar with WHO radio, it's, uh, 
It's uh, when you tune into that at one o'clock in the afternoon. It is brought to you by the High V Studio. So um, yeah, if you think if you're local here to Iowa and you think High V is a great uh, business, I think again, uh, they sponsored the program that uh, came out with so much hate against school board member Jonathan Wilson that he had to wear a bulletproof vest. I remember seeing him with this vest once uh, at a private meeting, and I was just shocked and appalled that anybody in Iowa should have to wear a bulletproof vest because they feared for their life because of what was being said about them on the radio because they were they happened to be gay. Of course, um, he lost that election. He was voted out. Um, nowadays, it doesn't matter. We have an openly gay uh, member of the uh, Board of Supervisors. We have openly gay members of the legislature, openly gay members of Congress. But back then, this is like mid-90s, it was dangerous, very dangerous. I mean, for me, again, simply political payback for Jonathan Wilson, threats on his life. Uh, another friend of mine, John Schmacher, um, he was outspoken for equality even before that, I think in the 80s. And uh, he would travel Iowa and talk about equality. And um, yeah, of course, received some pretty serious threats as well. You know... But back to the question of whether marriage equality is threatened uh, given the current Supreme Court situation. You know, after, again, I get after the SCOTUS ruling on Roe versus Wade, you know, Clarence Thomas said some incredible things. He said that rulings that establish gay rights and contraception rights should be reconsidered. Uh, Thomas even wrote that those rulings, and I quote, were demonstrably erroneous decisions. Uh, this is frightening stuff uh, coming from a Supreme Court member. And I understand how people would say, oh my gosh, there's that. And a Supreme Court that is more, quote, conservative in a, in a very strange way than any court has ever been before. So people are rightfully worried. You know, and I, I get it. You know, and I, I would say if you are a trans person, yeah, you should definitely be worried about what a Republican Congress or a Supreme Court current controlled by the current majority might do. You know, trans people are now the new punching bag for, uh, you know, for the folks who fear those who are different. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're considered different until you're no longer considered different. I'll get into that in a bit. But, oh, by the way, John Oliver has a great piece on the question of, of trans equality. Uh, you should check that out. It's really well done, as most of his stuff is. Again, it, he's a comedian, but... I think some of the best news and best analysis out there is delivered by comedians. They, they do a great job, and he does, on this issue. You know, but it's okay. If you're trans, be careful. <laughs> Pay attention. Um, expect that your rights will continue to be attacked. If you're lesbian and married, if you're gay and married, I don't see the Supreme Court or any other legislative body really you know, being able to take away that, that right. And I think it's because of this, because so many Americans have become comfortable with their gay neighbors or, or the lesbian couple that belongs to their bowling league or whatever. It's just not an issue anymore. You know, familiarity, they say familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe it does in some cases. But I say familiarity also breeds comfort. You know, you get to know the gay couple next door, they're no longer scary people. You know, I, one thing I talked about in my speech back in 1996 was uh, criticizing what, they, what was called the gay agenda. There is no gay agenda. The gay agenda is the same agenda you want. Uh, affordable health care, 
a decent job, a nice place to live, uh, you know, things like that. <laughs> your, your sports team to win once in a while, you know. So, you know, you know, times have changed. So I, I don't think, I, I think between people becoming more comfortable and familiar with gays who are married, lesbians who are married, it's not going to be a problem. And here's a couple examples as to why. So uh, back in, um, in 2009, the Iowa Supreme Court ruled unanimously in support of allowing gays and lesbians to marry. And uh, there was a huge pushback uh, from the right, from the conservative Christian right. And they were able to throw three Iowa Supreme Court members off the Supreme Court uh, at, the, at, at the ballot box in 2010. So, you know, thinking, okay, there's a lot of anger there. What's going to happen in 2012? In 2012, no one got thrown off the Supreme Court. And again, this was a unanimous decision. So everybody on the ballot in 2010 and in 2012 had voted for that ruling. But the difference that, the difference that two years made, again, people started getting to know gays and lesbians who were married, and they no longer gave a flying hoot. And so in 2012, no one got voted off the Supreme Court. That's how fast things changed. Another example, there's a local reporter here in Des Moines. Um, he entered, the, we, we, have a, we have so many stupid things at the Iowa State Fair. Uh, we could do a show just on stupid things at the Iowa State Fair. And some of them are, okay, some of them are, they're all harmless. And some of them are actually funny, including the husband calling contest. And historically, this is when a woman who enters the contest gets up and yells, in a crazy loud way for her husband to come home. Um, it's funny. It's dumb, but it's really, really funny. And for the first time, I believe, this was, I believe it was the first time, a husband entered this contest to call his husband. And you know what? Nobody seemed to give a darn. Uh, you know, it, it, it just, it, so I, we've, we've gone beyond caring about two gay people being married, two lesbian people being married. Heck, for that matter, how long ago was it that we gave a dang about interracial couples? You know, not that many decades ago, Clarence Thomas, who is married to a, a, a black justice, married to a white, you know, Christian activist, um, you know, that, that, that marriage would not have been acceptable uh, decades ago. Um, we're all to the point now where it's pretty darn comfortable. And so I do not think people need to be afraid about marriage equality being taken away. Yes, there are plenty of things to be concerned about with the reactionary uh, leadership that we're seeing in many states and potentially in the U.S. Congress. So, folks, I want to I wrap up this conversation by sharing uh, something from uh, Evan Wilson's book that, that I, uh, again, an excerpt from my speech in 1996. Um, I wrote, uh, and I did, I, I spent so much time writing this speech, and um, I had a um, a lesbian friend who was very, very helpful in helping me organize my thoughts on it. But I, I said on the floor of the Iowa House, I have anguished over this bill, not because there was any doubt in my mind as to how I should vote, but because I believe strongly that what we are dealing with here is the defining civil rights issue of this decade. Back in the 1950s, many, many Americans were victimized by relentless, fear-driven, red-baiting, there was a Bolshevik lurking in every bathroom, and you never knew but your neighbor or even your uncle might turn out to be a communist. In the 1990s, red baiting is out, but pink baiting is in. 
gay bashing, generally thought of as a Friday night frolic for inebriated thugs, has its parallel expressions in voting booths, city council halls, and legislative chambers across this country. Today, we are witnessing one of those expressions in the form of this bill by singling out gay and lesbian marriages as a union unacceptable in the eyes of the law. We fuel the fires of ignorance, tolerance, and hatred. You know, I... I think we have to be cognizant of the challenges of our times and, uh, and focus our attention there. I think the, um, you know, understanding the trans community's issues and doing what we can to make sure they are not mistreated, that they are given equality, uh, and certainly understanding the continued attack on a woman's right to choose an abortion, you know, those, those, are, those are far more... Uh, uh, prominent issues right now, in my opinion, than the uh, the threat of uh, marriage equality being being reneged. And so, uh, and again, especially I would say when it comes to a woman's right to choose an abortion, that uh, that issue is uh, is front and center this election, and probably will be for a time going forward. So, yeah, stand up for those who um, are on the front lines of any particular. Uh, um, attack and uh, focus your energy accordingly. Okay, so later in the program, we're going to be um, talking about how that abortion, the abortion issue, uh, plays into Michael Moore's take on the midterm elections. This is Ed Fallon. We've got to take a short break, and when we come back, we're discussing progressive utilization theory with Andy Douglas. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Vibes Kitchen and Bar in downtown Des Moines at the corner of 13th and Walnut serves clever, creative, modern interpretations of American classic bites and drinks. The Vibes team offers great food and customer service in a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere. Vibes is the perfect place for your party or function, and it's got an outdoor patio ideal for hobnobbing with friends and co-workers or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. Big corporations control most of the media. Our niche here is more important than ever. So please support what we do. You can go to the Fallon Forum website, check us out, sign up for the uh, weekly blogs, donate. 
you know, even better, you can become a monthly sponsor. And, you know, speaking of sponsors, thanks to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. I would like to welcome to the program Andy Douglas. Andy's the author of Redemption Songs, A Year in the Life of a Community Prison Choir. He also wrote The Curve of the World, Into the Spiritual Heart of Yoga. I have read both books, and they're both excellent. Uh, we're not going to talk about those books today, though, because something else on the plate here. <laughs> Andy is involved with the Movement for Progressive Utilization. Andy, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks a lot, Ed, and thanks for plugging the books. I always appreciate it. <laughs> sure, good, good. I, as a fellow author, I always empathize with the <laughs> challenges of getting one's book out there. I'm sure you do. Yeah. Hey, so, um, okay, Progressive Utilization. Yeah. What is this of well, which you speak? It, it, is, uh, it is a movement. It is a theory, uh, an economic theory. Uh, and basically, uh, the idea, it was, it was formulated by a philosopher and teacher and social reformer in India named P.R. Sarkar. And, uh, you know, he saw that communism was not cutting it. And also, he foresaw many of the problems that we see in capitalism today, this endless cycle of growth and uh, resource extraction and pollution and, and, and felt that co capitalism was also not the best way to meet the needs of the people. So he formulated a new economic theory called the Progressive Utilization Theory. Prout is the acronym. You can check out prout.info or proudestalliance.org. There's lots of websites that have info about it. But basically what it's about is um, encouraging an economy that works for everybody, not just for the fat cats. You know, we, we know that uh, nowadays the inequality, the inequity of wealth distribution is getting to such ridiculous lengths. It's, it's worse than it was before the Great Depression. So how is, this, um, how is this theory any different than simply kind of living the way more primitive societies have lived for centuries, maybe even millennia? Is, is, it, is, it, is it radically different from uh, basically more, you know, simple existences we've seen in the past. I, I would say so. Uh, of course, some of those value uh, values are similar. You know, uh, we encourage uh, a, change in, a change of heart, a change of perspective uh, on our fellow man and on our planet. You know, we have to be coming from a more compassionate, caring perspective. But then uh, there are also very practical economic-based uh, policies and proposals. For example, uh, a cap on wealth uh, is one idea that he proposed so that there would be not only a minimum livable wage, right. but a maximum wage as well. And those two would move in tandem and, you know, a reasonable distance between the two, not this ridiculous, uh, you know, CEOs making 400 times what, what yeah. workers are making. And I know there, there have been there have been countries in the past, I believe Sweden was one of them, that put a cap on how much more than the average worker a CEO was allowed to earn. But even, mm -hmm. that, was, even that was kind of a, big, a pretty crazy uh, difference, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so the idea is to um, create a system in which everyone has the ability to develop their potential. The system we have right now 
is so stacked against the ordinary person. You know, they're so struggling to survive. They can't develop themselves intellectually, creatively, spiritually. Uh, so Sarkar uh, wanted to, uh, to encourage the growth of decentralized local economies, more balanced economies that uh, take into account the needs and the resources of a local area. And then based on that, you chalk out a program for full employment. So it's not about handouts. It's about creating an employment system where people have the purchasing capacity. And what if, one of the arguments that a, a pro-current U.S. capitalist system person might make is, well, how do you how do you get people who don't want to work off their duff to do it? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've heard that argument, certainly. Um, I think one way you do it is to offer a good wage. You know, uh, well, that's a radical and idea. <laughs> and also, I think that, uh, you know, in the future, if if there is more equitable wealth distribution and current and, and current trends of developing technology, and I certainly don't want to say that technology is going to save us, but I think that it can help to a certain degree and it has to be utilized in a wise manner. But we may be working much less in the future. You know, in fact, I think our society is moving that towards that anyway. So there are certain trends that that would allow for an encouragement of people to work a certain amount and, and make a, a decent living and at the same time have time to watch TV, you know, learn, how, <laughs> learn how to play the fiddle. Or OK, there you go. You know? <laughs> yeah. or, or, or teach a, a prison choir how to sing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, so, yeah. um, yeah, uh, the the. I've seen I've seen some excerpts from the um, the uh, Prout uh, manifesto that are kind of critical of capitalism primarily, but I see you are you, you talk about concerns both both the capitalist economic model and the communist economic model. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of incentives, there really were no incentives for people to work under the communist model. Everyone got paid the same, so so why exert yourself at all? You know. Um, I think that's one of the biggest drawbacks of, of the, the communist model. Right. But it, in, in capitalism, uh, you may work as hard as you possibly can and still not get anywhere if mm. the system itself is kind of gained against you. Right. You know, so so I think an important point here is uh, an economic democracy. So worker control, worker decisions of of the workplace. You know, more cooperatives more small businesses owned by workers, that moving in that kind of direction, I think, will help uh, help to reverse some of these troubling trends. So is there a, a big question that comes up more and more in my conversations with people is, is there a population threshold, a human population threshold that, you know, at some point the planet says, okay, the resource base is not there to sustain this, um, you know, especially when you start looking at trying to preserve viable populations of other species, yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and to, some would say we have long since passed what that sustainable threshold of population is. Is there is there a perspective uh, that um, that uh, progressive utilization theory brings to that that concern? Well, um, I would say that Proutus would would argue that um, certainly if the economy is more balanced, decentralized, there's a better and wiser use of resources, if, if we're not uh, engaged in the all these global ch supply chains and shipping and trucking, but focusing more on the local level, um, population growth 
uh, and and people have nutrition and they have education and women are educated, population growth may begin to find a more reasonable level on its own. And really, it has to. Yeah, oh, of course, I, it I has mean, to. Yeah. I mean, the the current uh, endless growth model uh, projections of a human population on the planet of 10 billion people is yeah. um, it's it's uh, it's insane in my opinion to even imagine that you can sustain that level of, of of population given the you know the increasing consumption in 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 countries that have long struggled with adequate nutrition and and for, to be clear that's good I'm glad that I'm glad that that consumption is increasing in countries yeah. that have had those uh, those those challenges but Meanwhile, you have consumption off the charts in so-called right. quote developed right. countries. And right, and if we can uh, if we can redirect our energies, redirect our focus towards uh, more creative pursuits, more intellectual pursuits, instead of just this endless growth and production of, of white widgets and doodads and things that <laughs> don't seem to make a lot of people happy because they keep running after new ones. Um, yeah. You know, I think I think we'd be in a better situation. The widget and doodad obsession, yes, <laughs> it's, it's out of control. <laughs> hey, so, uh, I know I know you didn't you did not write the progressive utilization theories website, but I was reading through that and so this uh, this caught my attention. Uh, uh, and I'll quote: "The transition from meat to cellular agriculture. Uh, oh. What are the possible impacts on health if by 2040, 50% uh, of all protein in the region is from lab meat and alternative meat?" And quote, yeah. that sounds absolutely horrible to me, Andy. <laughs> I, I, I'm horrified. Uh, tell, well, me, tell me why I, that makes I, any I, sense. <laughs> so so Pro is a very broad-based movement. We have, we have activists in just about every country of the world, and people are doing a lot of different projects and research and, and uh, developing uh, different, different proposals for, for changes. I, I believe that article was written by, he, he's a guy from Pakistan, he's a futurist by training, and he does a lot of work with uh, with looking at trends yeah, that, that, happening in the world. That's a future I'd, I'd like to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I don't know if, if we want to get off on this track, but um, certainly the production, I will say this, the production of meat as it is currently is not beneficial to, to the health of the planet. And you might agree with me. Oh, I, I, would, I, I, I would agree that industrial, uh, yes, agriculture, industrial agriculture, or, or as Kathy and I discussed in last week's program, industrial scale fishing off the coast of South America that's, by Chinese right. fleets is also right. not sustainable. That's right. That's why we need more decentralized, more local growth in the economy, more focus on, on building a strong local economy, you mm -hmm. know, and, and without, without the, the huge agribusiness chemical inputs or, or, you know, the burning of um, fossil fuels, the burning of uh, forests, you know, those trends have gotten us to where we are and that's not a good place. Yeah, and I don't even know what lab meat, uh, how that works, how you, how you make that. <laughs> so my hamburger comes from a Petri dish, uh, but, but uh, apparently, what, what? apparently that's a trend. That's a scientific trend. And he's, re he's, uh, as a futurist, what he does is he sort of thinks these things through. So I don't know that that's, that's the most compelling point in the platform, or even if it is a point, but it's something that this guy's thinking about. One, one other point, I know we don't have a lot of time. One other point that I wanted to make is that Proud is very focused on the cultivation of ethical leadership. Hmm. That's a very important thing 
in, in our vision because, well, why not? <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice. Incredible, <laughs> incredible political instability and corruption and uh, people don't trust their leaders, you know. So I think it's very important to uh, focus on on a question of, on on the question of ethical leadership, on uh, honesty, transparency, strength, vision. You know all these things uh, that that we're not seeing a lot of right now, and and those qualities I think would put us in good stead to face some of the crises. And that we're isn't the isn't, isn't the prospect for ethical leadership often destroyed with un, you know unlimited campaign spending on negative? Oh edit? boy! I mean the the ads Absolutely. the ads you know. You know the ver the Virgin Mary could be running for public office, and somehow uh, a, a, an opponent would demonize her, and she would lose. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just it's so bad. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I agree with you, but yeah. I, getting to that point, well, I think the first step in our country would be to uh, put limits on campaign spending. You know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, who is the target audience for progressive utilization? Are we, are we is it targeting individuals? Cities, well, uh, or um, entire countries. What's the uh, what's the target there? You mean who are, who are we trying to reach with this message, or yeah. who would we like to see implement this message? The first, this, this, who, this who, who are we trying to reach? Who's the audience? Well, everybody, <laughs> or or people who are who are thoughtful and uh, understand the stakes of, of where we are right now. You know, um, you know, it would be great to get get a proud um, curriculum into universities. It would there are there are a number of books written that are out there. So it'd be great to reach other thinkers and, and influential intellectuals. But it's not just an intellectual revolution. We want uh, people who are active in the labor movement, uh, in education. You know, we're trying to create a shift in, in values, really, and a movement towards uh, more compassionate Really, it's an, it's economics based on love. Yeah. What a radical idea, right? Well, you know, uh, you, also on the uh, on the progressive utilization website is a, 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 a an article by an author, Roar Bjones. Yeah, yeah. Saying his name right. He's a Norwegian guy. Who was yeah. A, yeah, a Norwegian guy that moved to the U.S. moved to North Carolina, and yeah. he wrote, uh, "quote I have always prided myself on being an environmentalist. My wife and I grow vegetables and berries for enjoyment and to help lower our carbon footprint, but in these mountains." There are small farmers, deeply conservative, who put me to shame. They do not call themselves environmentalists, but their carbon footprint is much smaller than those of us who shop organic at Whole Foods and vote for the Green Party. We have a lot to learn from these old timers about sustainability <laughs> and community values. I love that. Well, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah he's I mean, a friend of mine. Uh, oh, really? Good. And I think he he hits the nail on the head. You know, we have to get back to some of these simpler. Uh, do-it-yourself kind of mentalities, you know, and and it may be that uh, that as the planet continues to move towards uh, towards destruction, you know, the environment, uh, we may be forced to oh, to yeah. embrace some of these, you know, I, much simpler ways of living. I agree with everything in that sense, except the word "may." We will be forced. Okay. Planet Earth uh, is go going is that. going to compel us to make those ch yes. those changes. One thing I love about what uh, what Rohr said is that it, it makes it clear that, that the movement to do the right thing to to create uh, sustainable agricultural practices, uh, sustainable living habits, sustainable communities. It's not left or right. It's not liberal or conservative. Right. It's a movement that transcends all those political boundaries. 
that tend to be thrown up by partisans and by the media to divide us. Uh, and, yes. we, you know, Kathy and I find that in our own experience, too. Uh, I mean, we grow 50% of our own food, but what we do buy, some of that comes from people who are, you know, very conservative, but they're yeah. doing really, really good work. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I agree um, with you. So, Andy, if people want to learn more about the progressive utilization theory and movement, where do they go? Yeah, well, uh, there's a few websites you can check out. You can go to prout.info. You can go to proudestalliance.org. That's the North American Prout Group. Uh, you can go to systemschangealliance.org. I know Roar Bionis is very active in that hmm. uh, okay. particular aspect of Prout. Uh, they can contact me if they want more information uh, because a lot of uh, what Prout is about is about education, and there are uh, study circles and study study materials available if you want to look into that so you could email me at andy.c.douglas at gmail all right be happy to talk to anybody andy.c.douglas at gmail.com andy right. thank you so much for joining us it's been a pleasure thank you so much ed folks i've been talking with andy douglas and when we come back from a short break uh, we're going to discuss the midterm elections including a perspective by michael moore that suggests it's not all dark and dreary for Democrats, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes prescription and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Western Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website for details. And thanks to uh, Vibes Kitchen and Bar, serving creative interpretations of American classic food and drink. Uh, Vibes has a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere and an awesome outdoor patio. It's the perfect place for parties or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more on Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. Thanks also to Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. All right, the, uh, the midterm elections. All right, it's been, uh, it's been just with the media uh, and political consultants. I mean, political consultants, also known in my mind as the worst form of human hack. Um, they, they love this stuff. They absolutely love an unpredictable seesaw, and they've got one. <laughs> you know, even if there isn't one, they'll create it, right? 
Uh, you know, first it's Republicans in a landslide. Uh, the Republicans will always prevail uh, when the Democratic de- Democrats have a president, you know. And then after the Roe v. Wade ruling in, what, June, ooh, now suddenly Democrats have a real shot. And then, of course, now it's back to the Republicans. And, uh, you know, the mouthpiece of the uh, political and economic establishment, the New York Times, um, had this to say about it this week. And I quote, uh, Republicans enter the final weeks of the contest for control of Congress with a narrow but distinct advantage as the economy and inflation have surged as the dominant concerns, giving the party momentum to take back power from Democrats in next month's midterm elections. That story references a new poll, a New York Times poll, not surprisingly. And it goes on to say, and I quote, with inflation unrelenting and the stock market steadily on the decline, the share of likely voters who said economic concerns were the most important issues facing America has leaped since July to 44% from 36%, far higher than any other issue. And voters most concerned with the economy favored Republicans overwhelmingly by more than a two-to-one margin. End of quote. Okay, so do most Americans really care about the stock market? Um I don't at all. <laughs> I mean, the, it, the top 10% of U.S. earners own 84% of the stock market. And, you know, I, I know there are probably some middle class, average folks, uh, upper middle class people who do invest in the stock market for whom it matters. I don't know too many people for whom it matters. Maybe I just run in the wrong circles. Uh, and, you know, okay, so the poll says the economy is the top issue. So when is, the, when is the economy not the top issue in polls? I mean, it was Bill Clinton who famously said, it's about the economy, stupid. And that, that's kind of been the, if not the mantra, at least the underlying observation uh, behind campaign strategy since the 90s. You know, it's about the economy. People are always going to be concerned about their job, about you know, what they've got to spend to live, um, about their taxes, those are always going to be issues because they're right there. They're in your face every day. So to say that suddenly the polls say it's about the economy is, is really boring. <laughs> it's just, it's not, there's nothing special about that at all. And I kind of wonder, I, you know, I, I, I tried to find out um, what was actually asked in these polls and I, I couldn't come up with that. So I wonder if they even asked about existential threats. I mean, for example, uh, yeah, were the were poll res- respondents asked about how they felt about climate change, about the threat of nuclear war? You know, I just I I, I would like to believe that even though again we tend to focus on the things that are right in our face, the, that we have at least some capacity to understand that there are some big threats out there that need to be taken seriously and need to be priorities when you decide who to vote for. And for me, it kind of comes back to that that excellent. Uh, cartoon I, I, I saw years ago, a T-Rex standing there um, getting ready to feed on another animal, I suppose, uh, looking up in the sky and seeing the asteroid, the comet, about to hit the Earth. And the T-Rex says, oh no, the economy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know for sure I, whether they, those questions were even asked, but they should be in every single poll. You know, and I'm, I'm really, generally speaking, I would say, I'm really tired of the mainstream media uh, trying to tell us what's going to happen in an election. And of course, they do that not just through polls, but through their uh, their editorial and their 
their uh, their journalistic perspective. You know, and of course, you know, elections aren't elections are not rigged the way Trump wants us to believe, and unfortunately, has convinced many people to believe. But the, but face it, the mainstream media do have an oversized impact on the outcome of an election with their polling and how they report and and their pandering punditry. Let's call it that because I just had to throw some alliteration in there. You know, and the mainstream media, of course, also have this huge influence in decisions that exclude certain candidates from either their polling or from debates. You can see that all across the country. Uh, Third-party candidates always getting excluded. Uh, here in Iowa, Iowa Public TV uh, chose not to allow Rick Stewart, the libertarian candidate, to participate in the gubernatorial debate. And that is not an endorsement. I just my, What I endorse is fairness. How, I mean, you've got three people running. What, what, what's the big deal in adding a third person to the conversation? Especially one that's already polling 4% and would probably be polling more if that candidate got more exposure. But, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's shameless to me that the, the mainstream media, public radio, public TV included, are so aligned with the two-party domination of politics that they can't even consider the fairness of letting a, another candidate or two into a debate. I mean, how many candidates participate in presidential debates? What, eight sometimes? And that's, that's more than most of us can stomach. But. So I, I want you to think about this. We remember back in 2016 how wrong the pollsters were, how wrong the mainstream media was, how wrong the partisan political hacks were when they said that no one they, they said, no way, no, no way, shape, or form is Donald Trump going to win the election. I mean, Hillary Clinton was probably already, you know, beginning to pick her cabinet. I don't, I, you know, everybody thought she would win. Um, and by the way, I didn't. I was scoffed at, in fact, uh, in one publication for saying that, yeah, uh, Trump could win this election. And that was based on my assessment of where the average person was coming from, uh, you, and a lot, of, a lot of those voices and perspectives get missed. Uh, you know, and, and Michael Moore, he also predicted that Trump would win that election. So, you know, it might be wise, we might be smart to pay a little bit of attention to what Moore is saying about this upcoming election. And, of course, he's got a uh, weekly or daily, or a regular at any rate, he's got a regular uh, blog, and... Uh, Let's see, this week he says, quote, on November 8th, an unprecedented tsunami of voters will descend upon the polls en masse and nonviolently, legally, and without mercy remove every last stinking traitor to our democracy. End of quote. And okay, I'm going to just say that's way too much to hope for. And I'd say there's, there are, quote, stinking traitors. You know, yeah, certainly... The off-the-wall folks in the Republican Party who denied the election and uh, want to basically overthrow future elections, yeah, that's, that's, that's traitorous. Uh, there are probably also some in the Democratic fold who maybe not, may not be traitors for the same reason, but could probably be tagged with, uh, with a, a similar brush. But yeah, to say that they're all going to be voted out, no, that's, that's going way too far, Michael. Disagree. But um, more goes on to address the media narrative that the party in power does, does poorly in midterm elections, saying, quote, the effect of this kind of reporting can be jarring. It can get inside the average American's head and scramble it. You can start to feel deflated. You want to quit. 
you start believing that we liberals are a bunch of losers. And by thinking of ourselves this way, if you're not careful, you begin to manifest the old narrative into existence. Okay, first of all, I like to note that I do not consider myself a liberal. Um, but I do, <laughs> I do think that uh, he's probably right about that. Uh, that you know, the more you hear something, the more it gets into your head, the more you are likely to believe. So yeah, if you believe the election is, is already decided, the polling shows that uh, certain races are going this way, ah, why bother? My vote doesn't count. My vote doesn't count. And you know, even in Iowa, where we are now a red state, where we have had uh, certain problems with elections, uh, we we have we have a very fair jury, uh, gerryman. We have a very very fair uh, districting system, free of gerrymandering. And one of those, you know, close districts, the uh, first just no, the second district, uh, last election cycle, was won by the Republican candidate by only six votes. So yeah, one's vote can matter. And again, if you resigned yourself to not bothering to vote because you bought the mainstream media's, you know, line and you believed the polls and thought, well, what's the point? Yeah, then 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 that 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 race would have went a different direction. And even by a lot more, even even by races that are decided by a lot more than six votes, can easily be tipped if people who have an opinion decide to get out and vote, and not be swayed by what the mainstream media or the polling says. So, um, you know, to his point, more uh, more references three specific uh, elections. Uh, he says, "quote If I said to you six months ago, you know, Kansas, right?" It's a huge pro-abortion state, and this summer, by a margin of 60%, they're going to keep abortion legal. If I said that, you'd think I had made a crazy statement. And sure enough, that's what happened, right? <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of people were surprised by that, but I guess what people didn't realize was that, you know, not all Republicans, certainly not all independents, think that a woman should be denied the opportunity to choose an abortion in most cases, many cases, all cases, depends who you poll, uh, certainly when it comes to incest, rape, uh, health of the mother. Moore goes on to say, if I told you at the same time that in the congressional election in Alaska, a hard red state, that it's not only not going to be won by a Democrat, but a native Alaskan Democrat, again, you'd have to question if I was out of my mind. And of course, we saw that happen. We saw that happen. Uh, and uh, we also saw possibly the political end of Sarah Palin. There are many who would think that's a, that's a, that's a good resolution. <laughs> Moore also points to an incumbent Republican candidate for the Board of Education in Boise, Idaho. This is a candidate who was endorsed by a far-right group, uh, the Idaho Liberty Dogs. And I just love the name. I, Idaho Liberty, I just, I see maybe their logo is a is uh, maybe it's those dogs standing around the pool table playing pool, even smoking and drinking a beer, or maybe it's hot dogs. I don't know. But anyway, the Idaho Liberty Dogs, they endorse this candidate, an incumbent, a Republican in Idaho, a solid Republican state, uh, again in a, in a town that has a Democratic leaning, I think, or at least more balance. But this candidate lost to an 18-year-old high school senior, who's also a progressive activist named uh, Shiva. Rajban, Rajbandari, I think. I may be getting that wrong. But uh, she was also the co-founder 
of Boise's chapter of Extinction Rebellion. And she beat this guy. <laughs> so I don't I don't know all the backstory there, but but his points are well taken. And again, I, I think, you know, to say that this and again, I, I'm this is not an endorsement of voting for Democrats. I don't do that on this program. The um, I, I can't do that on this program. But I will tell you the um, the the evidence that Republicans are going to sweep Congress and win the Senate back and win all these other seats is um, it, it, it's not defensible when you look at all the other trends. And again, the New York Times, of course, is always going to come out and say, well, you know, it's 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 a the the recent trend is the economy. Um, people have forgotten about abortion. I don't think so. I don't think people have forgotten about abortion. I don't think people have forgotten about the January 6th insurrection. Those things are still in people's minds. And, uh, you know, it's hard. It's, it's, the bottom line is it's impossible to say what's going to happen on Election Day. And whoever you are, wherever you live, whatever your beliefs, you should get out and vote. It does make a difference. It makes a huge difference. In fact, it's amazing to me that so many people still don't vote. And yes, we may have the occasional, uh, you know, issue of fraud, but they are so rare and so and so transparent. I mean, you can catch that stuff. You can catch that stuff. Anyway, that's um, that's advice from uh, from Michael Moore. We'll see. Uh, I'd like to get him on this program sometime. Um, I want to. I want to. I want to talk with him too about his take on how the Democratic Party is possibly its own worst enemy. I got my thoughts on that as well. And there are certainly examples of Democrats doing it right, uh, reaching voters at a new and deeper level. But uh, I don't think the establishment of the party is ever going to get that right. Well, folks, this is Ed Fallon. And when we come back from a short break, we're going to talk about pasta. Is it really Italian? Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Lipsham is committed to the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark says no matter how you plan or renovate your project, use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. A beautiful project will be revered, maintained, and valued, and is the best investment you can make for a future we all share. Learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Farm. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, becoming a sponsor of this program. Uh, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Gateway has an excellent local produce selection, and they've got a catering and floral service as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. 
So Kathy Burns with me, folks, and we're here to talk about how how Italian is pasta. Well, it's <laughs> I mean, it's really been called into question. There's a lot of controversy, and uh, there's a really current hubbub about a certain brand of pasta, Barilla Pasta Company. It's an Iowa-based pasta producer, but its um, its headquarters is in Parma, Italy. And North American headquarters are in Illinois, has factories in Ames, Iowa, and Avon, New York. And they're being sued, right? They are For being sued. false advertising or something like well, that? Well, sort of, by, by two Californians who claim that the product's packaging misleads consumers into believing that the pasta is Italian-made. And <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll get back to the lawsuit in a little bit, but we'll just talk about what does that mean, that okay. pasta is Italian-made. And right now, we don't want to make our Italian friends mad at oh, yeah. uh, Tumea and Sons. We yeah. don't wanna, but Louis, yeah, you might find us in the bottom. Uh, fortunately, the, fortunately, the Raccoon River is not that deep right now. So. Well, Louis, Mario, Jojo, this has nothing to do with In fact, they don't even serve pizza. They're so Italian. They just serve pasta. But uh, there are two reasons that Italians don't have a legitimate total claim on pasta. Uh-huh. So sorry. The first one is um, there. There are references uh, from early China as to the legitimacy of their having originated so, pasta, so and also the type of grain used to make. Uh, so the type pasta. of grain that's durum wheat, I believe, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. The type of grain used to make pasta. And the designs and shape of pasta, various types of noodles and whatnot, that right. that had its origin possibly in China? Not the not the wheat. Not the wheat. Not okay. the wheat. So let's talk about the wheat first. Pasta is made from durum wheat. It's made into semolina flour, and that makes a really pasty dough. That's where pasta gets its name. Mm. Pasta. Pasty. Oh, I get it. So, Never knew that. <laughs> what right. we call it in the Western Hemisphere anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Italy is now the leading producer of durum wheat in the world. But the grain originated in sub-Saharan Africa around 7,000 B.C. So durum wheat is not an official Italian product. Most good stuff originally came from Africa. Come on. Well, okay, like human beings. Yeah, Yeah. human beings, jazz. uh. Yeah. So the the durum wheat was later brought to Italy, and Italy is now the largest producer in the world. But Italian production of durum is dropping. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So they're getting it from somewhere else? They are getting... uh, about a third yeah. of their durum wheat from some uh, from abroad, so, so they they can't really say the the right. folks bringing the suit can't really say well it's not made with official Italian ingredients because it, so what what are they, what, what what's the, what are these Californians you were suing what what's their complaint specifically well their complaint is that the packaging leads people to believe that it is an Italian made product. Okay, because the package says what? The package says uh, Italy's number one brand of pasta. Okay, that doesn't say it's made in Italy. No, it doesn't. Okay. And also on the be- other part of the packaging, it clearly says that it is made in the USA. And so, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of reasons that pasta isn't really an Italian thing. It originated in China. But but in terms of, you know, it's, it's like potatoes. People think of potatoes in Ireland, right? Well, potatoes came from Peru. It's not cultural appropriation. It's it's cultural adaptation. Right? Yes, so, and I think it's so, appro- an appropriate thing for an Italian company 
the Barilla Company does have its headquarters in Parma, Italy, to use the Italian flag colors sure. and Italian imagery on their packaging. I don't think that's misleading at all. Um, and what is the what are the, what are the courts going to say about this? Do you think? Well, there's a U.S. District Judge Donna M. Ryu ruled let, just recently that the lawsuit can proceed okay. despite Barilla's uh, motion for a dismissal. Okay, so um, that that's uh, that that. That that could bode poorly for Barilla. Yes, yes. Um, there there were all all kinds of um, you know reasons that uh, oh there were some precedents that the judge cited, indicating that there have been some other cases against you know what people thought was misleading packaging, and uh, those have been allowed to move Gosh. forward. So yeah. she was basing some of this on you, those precedents. If you want to talk about misleading messages, gosh, go to uh, <laughs> go to any political ad. <laughs> Maybe not any political ad, but so many of them. Well, I mean, some well, of that, that's people, just basic, li- just outright lies. If people started to file lawsuits against politicians for misleading <laughs> ads, there would be no court system left because that's all that anybody would ever do. So, yeah. you know, to me, knowing what we know about the history of Durham wheat, it's not really from Italy. Yeah. The amount of I, grain I, that's grown in Italy. And um, I, I don't know. If I were the judge, I would have dismissed the case. Yeah. So I, I'd be interested to see where this goes. Um, and we, we love our pasta, by the way, because it goes really well with our tomato crop. My favorite pasta? Farfalloni. Because, because the name Fallon. That's is right. It's F A R F A O O N with an I on the end. Farfalloni. I think it means butterfly. They're, it, they're shaped it, like butterflies. It is. Or other people call it bow tie pasta. Right. I'm going to call it Fallon pasta. I will. All right. Too. How's that for cultural appropriation? Love it. <laughs> uh, hey, thanks to our guests on the phone today, Andy Douglas, and to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy Burns, and myself, Ed Fallon. Uh, thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Vibes Kitchen and Bar, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Western Optometry, and Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Remember, your support for this program matters a lot, so go to the Fallon Forum website to learn more about how you can make a difference. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.